the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, two fantastic guests here in the studio. Nate Dunn and Matt Archer. Welcome along, guys. How are we doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Fantastic, mate. Nate, you maybe uh, remind uh, listeners where you fit into this uh, big wide world of technology. I've been on the podcast a few times. Uh, so I own an IT, sorry, I own a software company. We're called uh, 3Bit. This is our 15th year, I think, or 14th year. It's ridiculous. Uh, and we do all sorts of integration work. We do a lot of zero work and uh, that sort of thing. And I'm also moderator off GeekZone. And I suppose I've got my Twitter handle, which is Nate, which seems to be quite a good claim to fame. Just Nate. Thank you. Good to have you back on, Thanks for having on me the back. show. It's, it's been a little while, so it's nice. It has to, been a while. It's, it's nice, like nice, studio to, nice is, to hang out, catching up again. The studio is very different from what I remember. Yes, we have much, had not, a, much nicer. Have had a um, somewhat largish uh, upgrade. And Matt Archer, tech legend. Spain. Great to have you here. It's great to um, be here, mate. Last time you you were here, uh, I think you were with Pushpay mm, uh, yeah. around that sort of time. Yeah, well, um, it was a fun time. Yep. Yeah, SAS, uh, the world of SAS has been something I've really enjoyed. Um, and yeah, Pushpay guys there did a great job, did a bit of a stint um, at Sin7 for a while as well, did a similar thing, we helped them climb some mountains and uh, since uh, since Christmas been been just flying drones to be honest. Oh that's good, well, we want to talk time. about drones, Big it's kind of, kind of been my big thing over the last <laughs> few days is, is trying to get a handle on what New Zealand's doing on, mm. doing what what's happening in New Zealand with drones. Uh, and I guess that this sort of falls into line with, um, you know, an area that's an interest of mine, which is how can, especially New Zealand organisations, be more successful while using technology well? And look, you know, drone, drones are one of those areas where it seems there's all sorts of smart and innovative things going on. Um, last week with uh, our new startup uh, company, uh, Object Care, which maintains uh, sculptures around New Zealand, we uh, we put up a, a drone to inspect a 15-metre uh, sculpture, which mm. was a whole lot easier than any other way of uh, <laughs> inspecting it. Uh, but there are, there are so many things going on. Uh, one that stood out to me was what uh, Fire and Emergency New Zealand have been uh, doing with the Nelson fires. And so I had a bit of a chat to them uh, last week, and they've been uh, putting up Drones and basically getting getting a handle on where the the uh, the hot spots are, where the flare ups are. They can put drones up when they can't put heli- the helicopters up, which of course helicopters are pretty expensive to put up anyway. Uh, and they've actually been going basically able to check the whole uh, perimeter of uh, of where the fire fire area was. And uh, I think it was something like tw- a twenty seven kilometer uh, perimeter that they were wow. dealing with. So it's a big space, uh, but by using drones to survey that, and then you know basically. Um, you know, checking checking uh, you know, temperatures, uh, then they can uh, they can map out and work out where they should be you know, putting their resources. Mm. Of course, a whole lot safer than having people on the ground trying to check what's going yeah. on. So, uh, I thought that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, I definitely think the uh, one of the things about drones is is they can be set up to be autonomous, right? Like uh, even if you've just got a 
relatively consumer-grade drone, uh, a website Drone Deploy that allows you to do mapping. So, you know, on Google Maps, you can set up the type of area that you want to to, to take a photograph of and off it can go and 20 minutes later it comes back with a nice 3D picture of your farm. But I think, you know, something like that for the fire and rescue would be be pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, and obviously the height, right? I mean, obviously the statues, being able to get up on a ladder is one way, but if you can, you know, send something up. You need up, a pretty you know, tall ladder meters. in some cases, so <laughs> a drone's pretty handy, yeah. 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 So cool tech, cool tech. And, and becoming safer, you know, a little while ago, didn't have a whole lot of the safety things around it. So putting something that weighs a couple of kilograms up in the air is a bit more risky, but I think there's a lot more safety stuff coming. And in the first responders, right, they need that safety before the value add. And I think that the fact that it is starting to be used by by us in New Zealand, I know in the States it's been getting used and there's a whole market for first responders. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be a grow- growing thing ar- around the world. I was reading that NASA have been doing research in a couple of locations in the US. Uh, one was Reno, Nevada. Uh, can't remember what the other one was off the top of my head, but um, into traffic management, like mm. in the you know in the sky. How do you deal with if in a few years' time we had a whole lot of drones in the sky? How do you stop them bumping into each other? How do you stop them hitting buildings and and so on? Of course, there's been you know some capability in those regards in terms of uh, sensors on drones, um, but obviously an area that's pretty important to address from a, from a safety perspective, as well as the other other types of challenges. Uh, I've, I've seen you know comments around basically bird strikes on drones, where a you know a bird attacks a drone that takes them out of the sky, and then um, in really cold places, it being a challenge as as well. Uh, in fact, a really, you know, great use uh, in the Ross Ross Sea, where they were they were putting up uh, put up a drone to basically uh, find a path for a ship trying to get through uh, through the ice flow, which seems wow. brilliant uh, until a drone fell out of the sky because you know effectively it's just so cold there. Yeah. And uh, the the you know the batteries don't handle uh, that sort of thing well, and I can imagine other parts sort of uh, free, freezing up there. So. Did you see some of the video footage from uh, you know the the round the world yacht race? Um, is it, is it the wet bread? Yeah, yeah. Well, they actually these guys are putting drones up to film these uh, these boats, but in massive massive seas, right? Like five ten meter swells, and 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 there's some some pilot that's got enough guts to 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 put this thing up to get incredible footage. Yeah, but then it's like, how on earth do you actually uh, you know capture the thing when you're going like twenty thirty knots and you're pitching up and down, you know. Five ten meters, right? How do you land that how drone do, again? How do you catch it, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, without losing your hand. Well, we learned on one of the. Uh, in fact, it was the first first time we played with a drone, and I think it was uh, Parrot who was sort of really one of the first in terms of doing, if not the first, that sort of really in terms of uh, you know, getting out consumer drones. And yeah. it was quite early on in the piece with the New Zealand Tech Podcast, so you're know, probably looking about eight years ago now. And uh, so we we got sent one to uh, to to have a little bit of a play with, and you know, of course, the first thing you do, this thing's coming down, you you try and you know catch it in your hand. Um, you know, it seems logical, but the way it was sort of made out of polystyrene and and whatnot was actually it need, needed to land on its feet to remain in one piece. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that that was our first damaged, broken. 
uh, bit of kit uh, very early on in the podcast. When you was get your on those blades, eh? Yeah, didn't didn't do that. Fortunately, <laughs> we we're kind of catching it underneath, but just yeah, the way it was built. But I have have heard some stories of um, yeah drone blades these days being um, uh, potentially rather painful to uh, to interact with at speed. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got bit by one not so long ago. Yes. Yeah, not a not a not a nice thing. Wish to avoid, let it land on the ground, pick it up afterwards. Better yeah, option. Yeah, yeah, good, good call, good call. Um, What's the future for drones? Are they going to get quieter, bigger, smarter? Like, well, there's some good innovation going on on the the noise front, um, and I'll have to look up the name of the firm. But there's a Kiwi firm that's been working in the in the area of the acoustics mm. and working out, you know, how do you how do you address the blades and yeah, other other aspects to basically cut down uh, the noise so that's yeah. kind of kind of cool because the motor itself you know uh, electric motors are pretty quiet right uh, but uh, propellers that uh, that certainly generates generates a, a, you, a chunk of noise and if you're wanting these drones to carry heavier and heavier payloads mm. I, I know very little about drones are you, are you you need more blades you need bigger blades you need bigger drones like how What's what's the like? What do we, what do you need to happen for the drones to be able to carry these? Carry people. This is kind of really where we're yeah. where we're heading, isn't it? And well, like that firefighting thing actually having instead of sending these sending helicopters out with a big monsoon buckets, yeah. you just send a whole lot of drones that just keep coming back and going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, you need you need a pretty uh, yeah impressive scale of drone, I guess, to be able to. Uh, do that. I mean, I think. Look, I I'm impressed by the you know the things that are going on now. One of the other things. Um, we looked at before that video of a drone with a flamethrower attached to uh, help clean clean power lines that have got you know stuff hanging on them, growing on them, and so on. There's yeah, I mean, there really are. There's a whole bunch. Uh, one of the ones I heard uh, someone shared was someone shared with me on Facebook over the over the weekend on the New Zealand tech startups community. There uh, was a drone being used to do an autonomous sort of stock check inside a warehouse. So mm. basically flying through a warehouse and you know seeing seeing the I guess it's sort of um, uh, not eyeballing by person, but by uh, drone and seeing what's uh, what's stocks there in a, in a big in a big warehouse. Mm. Uh, so there's yeah, there, I guess there's lots of uses already, but the scaling up will will really change things, right? Um, I, I don't know how I don't know how easy it would be with an electric drone to get to a point where that drone could carry monsoon buckets, whether whether the electric ones will be able to do that anytime soon. I know when I chatted to the um, the folks at uh, Bell Helicopter or Bell Flight, as they're now called in, in the States, that have done sort of military and varying helicopters and, and their uh, thing that they, their, their one that they showed off at, uh, at CES, you know, supposedly destined to offer sort of, you know, Uber elevate service in, uh, in the next five years. So, you know, flying up to, I think about five five people. Uh, their their first sort of variant of that is very much a hybrid uh, hybrid engine. So um, yeah, it's not not purely electric, but I guess we'll we'll get there with the electric stuff, particularly as the battery mm. uh, tech develops as well. I saw one of the um, one of the flying car uh, manufacturers that was supported out of San Francisco. Um, this guy name of the company escapes me, but um, had developed this unbelievably powerful electric motor, mm. and his flying car has got like a almost like a rocking wheel underneath it, so when it lands, it type of 
it rocks. But this, off the back of this one motor, they've actually built a, one of these flying cars with with four props that can take mm. 120 kg load. Yeah, and it literally it, it can hover. It's just the, the power of it's just incredible. But they've got now all the all the you know restrictions on flight, and you know there's so much controls that have to be worked through in the states before these things can even be taken out of hobby mode but at the moment they're sitting in that micro light category yeah right um, so but there doesn't a seem to be a bit too of a gap that they can uh, they can use them but they're chasing the commuter market as opposed to you know the drone drone people are looking maybe at different different tech different applications um, but yeah with the, I mean batteries and motors right I mean Dyson has decided to do that with their vacuum cleaners because they've Crack the the code on the electric motor and the rechargeable battery. So yeah, going from uh, vacuum cleaners to an electric uh, vehicle. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a pretty interesting journey to watch for for Dyson. Uh, but it, it, I guess, as a as a sort of yeah reflection of where you know where we where we've been advancing on the battery front. Uh, brushless electric yeah. uh, motors, which have you know so much uh, you know, better performance and 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 power. Uh, than the than traditional electric motors, and then all of the electronics that I guess we you know we can thank smartphones to a you know big degree for having you know pushed push things forward with you know tiny and, and cheap GPS chips and yeah. all of the other sensors and, and elements and the uh, and the phones are kind of pushing this forward, and as we have the low cost sort of you know consumer prosumer type drones. All of that development, of course, just makes it easier to do yeah those professional type of applications. So, yeah, I think uh, the, the idea of fighting fires is is, is quite a quite a good one, Nate. Um, but how long it'll Better take us to get to, now, then. to uh, to get there? Maybe that's your next business. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe it is. Uh, but at the moment, one of the things that I like about uh, the drone technology is because yeah, we we look at sort of disruptive things taking you know taking jobs away. Is that there's there's you know there's probably more jobs or there's you know a good chunk of jobs being generated around drones at the at the moment anyway. Mm. Uh, whether it's you know people to to pilot them remotely or uh, what have you, so I think you know that's it's one one of those new new areas where uh, you know new jobs are coming rather than uh, jobs sort of dis- disappearing. It's amazing too. Whenever you see like something filmed outside, if they're filming it just sort of at ground level, you know it looks good. But you, when you include a drone, where you can get those big sweeping shots or yeah. or pulling back, really, no one ever looks at it and goes, "Oh, that's a bit average." You know, it just it just adds it just adds another level of oh, that's cool. Yeah, they do. They look great, don't they? And I think that's why they're so popular, right? Because all you need to do is buy any drone. Yeah. If it's got an HD camera, you just put it up like 40, 50 meters in the air. Yeah. And you're above the trees, and it's just incredible. Right? Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, old days you had to climb a tree and try not to fall out. And the guy's holding you with a ladder, like oh, yeah. But, but even real estate, right? Even the sailing of sale of real estate now, is, these things are becoming yeah. commonplace. It's not just good enough to have a nice view of the house you want to be able to get up in the air and see what's the what's the size of the property and draw the nice red line around the boundary fence to let people know why you know the property's the big the big value add mm-hmm. um, the dr- drones must have killed uh, you know my my dad was a real estate agent for many years and i, I remember there's a, a, a guy i can't remember what the company name was but he had a blimp so he'd pull up with his, his trailer and he'd pull the blimp out and yeah. he'd have a big guide wire and he'd let this guide wire up and then click 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 and move around click 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 like his business overnight must have just gone because you 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 know get one of these nice drones and you just click done 
You don't have yep. to have the big trailer. You don't have to have all the equipment. That's right. Yeah. You can just do yeah. some, you know, amazing things with this relatively inexpensive. And also kit. kites, right, as well. They used to use kites. Yeah, yeah. And like kite fishing is type of turning into drone fishing. And yeah. So yeah, I was just having having a look at some of the other uh, some of the other things that have been done. New Zealand surf life saving um, in terms of using them to map currents, and I saw a bit of footage when uh, in Australia they got into uh, they got into u- one, using them from a life saving perspective. Yeah, I remember you could shoot out and it would drop a That's yeah right. drop a, flota- a flotation device that wow. would um, yeah because they can get out far quicker than someone on, you know the the lifesavers on the yeah fraction of the time of getting a, a boat out there right so That's awesome. That uh, that one's pretty exciting, you know. I think when you you know any of these things that are life saving is really cool. Like you know the fire situation, if you you can help you know may you know re- reduce a fire or you know uh, um, you know stop it. That's uh, that's got potential. Yeah, surf life saving. Yeah, is 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 another. Um, Imagine if they goody. got their capacity up so that instead of just dropping a flotation device, the thing drops down and it's got two handles. And they go, hold on. So the person grabs it and it like lifts them up and just hovers them back. You're just like, what? What is going on? Also, my uh, my daughter was doing the uh, Tongariro Crossing a week or so ago, encountered a, uh, a visitor who had not dressed themselves appropriately and was hypothermic, nearly uh, you know needing urgent medical care, and the hel- helicopters couldn't come in because the cloud was was too low. Mm. And uh, you know, you type of thinking, wow, if you could even just get, she just desperately needed some some clothes and some you know rescue. Blankets because mm. people are on their way in, but it's quite a hike. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you could if you could get enough battery power, enough GPS, you know, I mean, you could phone phone the police. They're able to phone people, so there's a GPS location, so they knew exactly where they were. Yep. Mm. If you get a drone up there with a rescue package, you know, it could be the difference between the person's life. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, you think of those those scenarios when people get get you know stuck up at at high altitude and so on. Mm. If you've got a drone that can cope with uh, the altitude and the the temperatures, mm. uh, there's there's no you know no one else is going up there. Yeah. It's too dangerous for a helicopter, but you can probably put a, a drone at a level of risk, and it's worth doing it yeah. when you've got lives at stake, right? So even um, if it the, crashes, you get, can march in and get the drone another time. Yeah, maybe. Or if the drone has one of those lime scooter things where it thinks it's being punched and <laughs> the anti-lock kicks in, you're like, ah, oh, we're a little bit high for this to happen. Yeah, drone full of bugs, probably probably not a good idea. Um, I got another one note came through, um, company Kiwi Quads uh, FPV, uh, first-person view uh, drone racing, so yeah, the company oh, yeah. uh, uh, specialising in that. Those guys that do that, you, you watch it on YouTube, and it, I, I like... They're flying it through these things. I don't even see where they have to fly it, but they're flying it through these, yeah. like, you know, loops and circles and stuff. And by the time we, like... <laughs> it's just like playing a very fast-paced video game, except something is actually yeah. going around the and course. It's I feel nuts. like my brain is is like on a go slow, and they're at two times the speed, because I'm just like, <laughs> oh, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> you see some of the teams have got, like, um, I saw there's a kid who's about nine or ten that's in one of the elite teams, and, you know... It's mental. Just, uh, just out of control. Yeah. Um, I saw a note saying uh, Scion Research in, in Rotorua, which is the company formerly known as the Forestry Research Institute, which mm-hmm. is the name I know it by because my father used to uh, work there uh, when I was a, a, a young un, um, using them in, in forestry. There's obviously a lot of use that goes on on the you know farm side as well. I think we, you know we've heard about the various agricultural uh, uses. 
Um, Simon Shea DeBoer has uh, mentioned he was using them uh, to do 3D scans around the world, the likes of you know Egypt and uh, and Manchester as well as what he's been doing locally. So they've done wow. some pretty interesting stuff that uh, they've got a bunch of footage up on uh, on on YouTube. So yeah, that 3D sort of mapping side of it, I think, oh, is incredible. is really cool in terms of uh, you know what what they're capturing. And also with construction as well, I know. Um um, again, because you can program these things to fly a particular flight path. Mm. So, you know, fly to this point in the building at this height and take photos and then to this corner and this corner that um, I think, uh, you know, part of the construction process, daily photos to check, you know, the status of things. And and this, again, you can just have that time lapse from multiple angles showing showing the growth of things. And at 4K cameras and above, you can get zoom in and see some pretty, pretty tight detail mm. as well. Yeah, it's a really exciting area. Um, now, what's your what's the funnest thing you've done with a drone, Matt? You oh. Mentioned doing some fishing. Yeah, I think um, yeah, one of the things that's it's fun when you. I like going and filming some of the surfers just out, you know, out on the waves. Oh yeah, one, that because looks cool. uh, no one gets too upset if you're out flying your drone over the water because worst case it falls into the water no one gets too stressed about that yeah but um but yeah getting a surf casting rod and uh you know taking the um taking a a, a lure, you know a cast out 500 odd meters <laughs> um around the around the back uh, where Miranda is there's you know quite a few mussel farms out there and so if you can get your uh, get, get a cast out you know 5 600 meters from shore so a lot of a lot of snappers like to live live at that space and then just um bring the drone back park it Wait till the till the rod starts to bite, and then five hundred meters worth of winding. That's great. Uh, so, how do you how do you get the drone to uh, to hold the line and then drop the line? How does that work? Um, the drones that I like uh, flying are the DJI ones, and one of the features of the remote control is the ability to turn off the flashing LEDs yep. at the front. The reason for that is if you're taking um, taking photos at certain times of the day, those flashing lights can can come up on the on interfere, the, especially interfere with, yeah, night and so on. Yeah, and so what you do, um, there's uh, dronefishing.com is an outfit that's building these these release mechanisms that that a sensor goes down the arm of the drone and clips around with the LED is oh, and yeah. then under the drone there's a little servo that just releases a, a, a pin and so from the remote control you just you press one of the buttons on your remote control and it just opens the gate right so that turns the LED off and turns the LED triggers off it and away and you it, go and it drops your line so you create a little loop in your um in your in your fishing setup that little loop sits in the pin and you you weight it up and sinker it up and bait it up and uh and then off you go. That's, That's good. Amazing. So you had any big big snapper off that? Uh, a couple of a couple of little snappers yeah, at the yeah. moment, but uh, yeah, it's it's certainly certainly good fun. I wanna, yeah, I've got a yeah. friend that I'm wanting to go and do a bit of surf casting uh, down Bethel's Beach. That's our next uh, our next uh, next mission. Let's see if we can find some snappers behind the, the surf out there. Yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, that's uh, that's really cool. Well, I think that the whole area of of drones. Is pretty fascinating. So we'll look to get some, you know, people that are that are out doing uh, doing interesting things in sort of industry and and so on uh, on the show and in, in future. So if any of our listeners are involved in this space uh, or they know somebody is who you think would be interesting for the show, so certainly feel free to uh, to get in touch and uh, and and drop me a line. Uh, I think it, you know it's certainly good to 
share a little bit of what's going on around the you know country in terms of these uh, these innovative uh, bits and pieces. Uh, now, new gadgets—they're uh, always you know coming thick and fast. Uh, last last week was uh, Samsung's unveiling of the uh, Galaxy S10, which they've got, uh, I guess, as a series now. They've got the S10e, which is their smaller one. I think it's a 5.8-inch uh, screen, and that's the lowest price one, and the New Zealand market comes in at uh, $1,300. $1, I had a look at that. It's It felt very, uh, very iPhone-esque, actually. Uh, just in terms of the the, the curves were, um, you know, the edges of it felt like an iPhone uh, 10 or 10R or um, 10S, uh, which was was kind of interesting. I don't know if they're trying to attract the uh, the iPhone customers. I'm sure Samsung wants every customer. Uh, they they can get, uh, but it was it's quite a nice uh, nice size. You know, once upon a time, a five point eight inch uh, screen phone would be yeah, it'd be a really big phone. But uh, yeah, with the sort of edge to edge screen, and then you've got a little just a little punch hole for the uh, for the camera that felt like you know quite a uh, quite a dinky little phone. Uh, and then you're up to the um, Samsung Galaxy S10, the standard one, uh, and then the uh, the the S10. Uh, plus, which is what I've got in my hands at the moment, and that's got dual cameras on the front, so the little uh, the little uh, punch hole is a is a little little bit wider, uh, but it seems it seems to be not you know not too annoying. I don't know how you guys feel compared compared to having the uh, the notch, having a having a little you know a, either a small round hole uh, punched or or um, or this in this case it's kind of a um, you know, oblong shaped uh, hole at the the top right, but yeah, the software seems to sort of work around it mostly. So it does move your icons over. Based, it's it, you're not sort of missing out on. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, stop you seeing your battery levels and uh, whatnot because it kind of sits in that uh, same place. The other thing is, if you're uh, you know watching a video, YouTube or what have you, you've kind of got two uh, two sizes. So you know, you can either have it so that it's not none of it's sort of obscured. Or you can stretch it out and and have that little sort of hole in it as well, uh, which yeah, with the sort of edge to edge screen is pretty what nice. A sixteen by nine movie fit perfectly in that. It looks uh, sixteen by nine. What are these? It might be eighteen point five by nine or something. So they, they, I think it's they're probably more like a, a cinema S- cinema type um, screen or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's a full cinema screen. It's something like twenty one by nine. Yeah. Uh, which I think, uh, yeah. So and and it might be Sony who one of one of them has, has announced one at that um, that aspect ratio. So yeah, this, uh, it looks uh, looks pretty good. The one probably the one thing that is worth mentioning for those who are uh, Samsung fans and they're pretty keen on the phone. There's a real benefit of of pre-ordering wait, instead of waiting till launch. Of course, over time the prices do come down, but uh, they have mentioned that they're doing across all the all the channels. They're uh, doing free wireless earbuds uh, for with pre-orders. And what are they, what's nice what are they about? With, uh, I'm not sure. Probably similar to the Apple ones, a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, but what's nice about the earbuds and their watch is you can use the reverse charging. Although they don't call it uh, reverse charging, got their own name. But uh, basically, you can charge them on the back of the watch. So your earbuds run low. You can just put the earbud case on the back of your phone. 
uh, turn on their uh, charging feature and charge them using the phone's battery. They call it wireless power share. Um, so you can share the power of the phone with another device, whether it's another Samsung phone, Android, Huawei, and so on. So uh, we saw Huawei do that um, cool. last year with the Mate, Mate 20 Pro, uh, but that obviously seems to be uh, catching on. How much testing do you reckon they were required to do around that before releasing? Yeah. It's just we're going to play with power. Now we're going to send power out of the device. It's just uh, make sure <laughs> well, it's all nicely. It, it hasn't caught fire it. yet, so that's No, this, 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 <laughs> I think uh, the, the, the power issues in terms of, uh, well, battery, batteries catching on fire, I, I hope everyone's learnt the lesson on that and we don't uh, we don't see any uh, any return. But, I, you know, I do worry when, uh, yeah, some of, the, some of these cheap, Bits and pieces from varying parts of the world sort of turn up without yeah. certifications and so on in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, it's not the fifteen hundred dollars phones you're going to worry about, is it? It's not, the, the two hundred dollar type so of can't pronounce copies that people are bringing in. Yeah, um, but they got any indicative pricing tool on what it's going to launch at? Uh, which one? Uh, that one. Oh, so the the S ten. So uh, yeah, thirteen hundred dollars for the S ten E, the lower, the well, the smaller model. Uh, fifteen hundred, and I'm rounding them up a dollar here. Uh, fifteen hundred or fourteen ninety nine, if you want to be perfect, uh, for the S ten and seventeen hundred for the S ten plus. And then those are with 128 gigs worth of storage. I think they've got 256 gig models, and they've even got a ceramic uh, edition of the S10 Plus with a ter- full terabyte of storage oh. built in. So not in the past we've you know seen sort of like 512 plus you can put a 512 card in. It's full terabyte in terms of what's built in, and you can stand them, extend them. Uh, the one th- small disappointment uh, for me was noting that. The, that our telcos with, I guess Samsung's given them a choice of single or dual SIM, mm. and the telcos seem to have uh, veered Singles. to single SIM, whereas with Huawei have sort of were, were not giving an option when they launched their uh, Mate 20 Pro, and mm. so that was the first dual SIM phone that we saw on the Spark network. Vodafone, I think, said no to actually taking that phone. Whether that was the dual SIM thing or not, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I just would have liked Samsung with the, I don't know, the, the power they've got to have maybe, um, you know, said, look, we're just doing this as a dual sim. My understanding from what I, what I've, what I've heard around the traps internationally and so on is that the phones themselves may not necessarily be dramatically different. Uh, they may have the dual sim capability in them. And in fact, the pricing to the telcos is, is probably, you know, exactly the same whether they have one SIM or two. But of course, there, there's this thing of lock-in and, uh, you know, so on. So, you heard yeah. anything on the, that whole eSIM type of pursuit? Uh, I yeah, we're looking at. I heard, but I haven't heard. I've I've, I've been prodding. No one, no one's given me uh, anything. Uh, too firm in terms of, uh, you know, exactly when we're gonna when we're gonna see. Esim's just as an option you can use on your iPhone. Uh, I've got an Esim loaded into my um, review iPhone uh, XS Max, which is my US AT and T number. And uh, look, yeah, works works really well. Uh, Apple have really integrated the sort of dual SIM capability quite nicely. You know, you can attach, uh, you know, preferred uh, preferred 
SIM card or, or phone, you know, phone number that you're going to use when dialing out. I've just changed my SIM cards around to uh, primarily be on the uh, the Samsung uh, Galaxy S S10 Plus, and so I put my uh, so that, which is and my Vodafone is my primary SIM. My secondary SIM is uh, is my Spark one, so I put that in the iPhone and, uh, you know, it come, came up and basically was asking me what I want to do with my contacts. Do I want to assign, uh, you know, this this number as a default across my contacts because you can have that, you know, variation. You say, oh, well, look, when I'm calling Nate, he's on this network, so I want to use this SIM card. Um, when I'm calling Matt, I want to use, a different, you know, the other right. SIM card. You can do, you know, you can wow. do things like that. Or you can have it, you know, default to one for data or not use data and, uh, yeah, it's it's actually quite nice, nicely done. So, it's uh, yeah, it's good, good, good to see. But so no, there's no options become, locally. Because I think you know everyone's carrying their own personal phone in the type of the world of business. You know, people who need a phone for business often, you know, want to be a little bit more discreet about when they're taking business calls and also discreet about their personal calls. So, I think you know that 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 dual SIM environment I think will become not just the the landscape of IT. Boffins, but That's I think right. more and more people are going to want to have a potentially a single device that they can then control. And when you travel and you you don't have good roaming roaming options and so on, right? There are. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, roaming is becoming better and better. I think you know it's fair fair to say it's, it's certainly not as crazy expensive as it as it used to be. Um, but it, it's still yeah, it's still convenient certainly in some lo- locations just to have a local number, right? So that's why. Probably the the main reason I keep a US number uh, is just much easier to to get to contact people and and do business and so on when you're in the states on a local number. Uh, plus, yeah, plus you know can be handy for data, although uh, less and less uh, of of an issue I, I find. So it'd be nice if the different carriers implemented you know two degrees. I'm not sure if they implemented or they're talking about. Don't, no, they have got it. That Wi-Fi calling, you know, where you can yeah, someone well, can ring your O two two number and then you're sitting on a Wi-Fi at whatever conference. And the call just comes straight through. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So we've got. I mean, yeah. So that that's just two degrees at the moment. And yeah, you can be basically anywhere in the world. And uh, as you got someone and, and, and get that to be working. So. Final question is on the costing of the phones. Going back to you know the new the new fancy flip phone that I think they were yeah. pitching that at about two grand US. Has there been any indication of what that might end up costing? And well, we don't know about about launch here. In fact, um, because we've had both uh, Samsung announce their Galaxy Fold, uh, Huawei, you know, very soon thereafter, and at Mobile World Contact uh, Congress announced the Huawei Mate X, which mm. looks, uh, you know, some, somewhat similar. It's a it's a, it's a different uh, it's a different approach. Uh, but not you know not not dramatically and uh, yeah both of those are un, you know it's unknown whether we're going to see any sort of local uh, local launch exactly uh, you know what the pricing and so on would be but um, yeah a, a little bit like the one that we saw at uh, CES the the, uh, the folding phone I guess you've got to ask who would who would want it who want who wants a much much thicker phone in their pocket is there actually a market for it or is this just it's just a PR thing to to sort of be hey we're cool we've got that that phone and uh, you know you, I guess yeah there's also a bit of weighing up of uh, um, yeah the free publicity they get right out of, uh, out of out of making an announcement and how that sort of that that sort of 
uh, halo effect and how how it helps their brand. I, I guess I was surprised that Huawei were showing one off uh, at the same time as well. Uh, I, you know, I hadn't sort of thought that uh, there'd be a whole lot of brands that are uh, that are doing this, mm. but yeah, you know, I think they see it's important to, uh, to 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 be you know staying somewhat out front. And I mean, certainly they're, they're putting a lot of pressure on Samsung in terms of their latest products. And uh, this time next month, we'll see the launch of their uh, uh, P30 uh, P30 Pro uh, product. So it'll be interesting to see what they bring to the table with uh, with that one. As I say, they're they're, they're putting a good bit of uh, pressure in with their um, their products. And you know, in fact, when you when you look at the Galaxy uh, S10. Uh, there, are, there are certainly some uh, some similarities to what Huawei did with their Mate 20 Pro, right? With the wireless charging, uh, you've got a different type of fingerprint sensor in the front, but you know both of them are phones that uh, you can you know unlock through the glass on the on the front, um, which is is, cool. is is kind kind of cool. Um, but yeah, Samsung sort of showing off their. Uh, their their uh, technology that uh, yeah, I think you can you know, it doesn't matter if your your hands are a little bit wet and and so on because it uses a different uh, different type of sensor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably found in both cases they're not absolutely perfect, but um, I don't know. I, I seem to put these things to the test. I you know have the same with the uh, the the iPhone and the facial recognition. Sometimes it just doesn't work, which is uh, um, a little a little annoying. You've got to uh, kill your glasses in. Paul. What's that? You've got to cure your different glasses in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you t- I mean, it, it, it works. Sometimes it works fine with glasses off and glasses on, and then other times it's not working with them off. So you put them on, it doesn't work, or <laughs> vice versa. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not quite sure. Microsoft have launched the, uh, their or announced their Hollow uh, Lens Two product. So it's kind of uh, interesting just to see. How the these sorts of wearables, particularly on the uh, the the VR mixed reality uh, type uh, type front, have been moving along, and you know it seems as though they're very much leaning away from the gaming front. I mean, they, these are uh, uh, not uh, not cheap devices at all. They're very much uh, you know a commercial. Uh, commercial headset. Um, I think they've popped up the resolution for their uh, displays from a 720p uh, resolution to um, a 2K resolution wow. um, for 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 each eye. Um, so yeah, they've they've um, definitely stepped stepped things up a front, but it seems to be. People that are going to spend the what is it? I think three and a half thousand US on these are uh, probably not going to be uh, gamers, um, you know, any any time soon. Put it well, you know, they're not going to be using them primarily for uh, for gaming. Um, but yeah, not nice to uh, nice to see that side of things uh, progressing. Anyway, but no resurgence um, of the old Google Glass anywhere in the back. Backbells of anywhere. Well, there there are people doing yes, devices yeah. that are somewhat similar. They've you know, got some similarities to to, to Google Glass, uh, but I I guess it's not, you know, not not a particularly ex, uh, I don't know exciting year. I think mm. uh, you know Google were were um, 
uh, you know, maybe going to offer those in some sort of, you know, commercial type scenarios. But this at this stage is not that, you know, smartphone killer. It's not that uh, device that, you know, they're, they're expecting to sell a billion units of uh, in, the, in the short term. The mistake was to put a camera on the front of it, right? I mean, just if, if they just out. get the camera off it yeah. and just provide all of your HUD information, it would have been a different, yeah. different proposition, but, you know. Started. Everyone had to, you know, flick them backwards. You know, the the culture was to wear them backwards, so no one would feel like you're streaming them without their knowledge. And then it just, yeah, don't wear them ever. Yeah, it's mm. a bit of a uh, bit of a fail. But I guess the, you know these these are the lessons that uh, you know that we go through on the uh, on the technology front. Now, um, one one other f- uh, gadget that uh, is is quite new. We've had. Uh, around the office uh, is Huawei's Y7 Pro. Now, this is a f- they they launched one of these last year. They're doing it again in 20, uh, 2019. Uh, this is, I think, um, it's pretty reminiscent of you know a bunch of the phones that we're that we're really uh, seeing now from the perspective of. It being, you know, having a reasonably sort of edge-to-edge display, uh, you know, it's really drawing from those top-end smartphones, but it's at virtually an entry-level price. So this is a three hundred and thirty-nine dollar um, device, and it that seems like ridiculous. New Zealand is, is <laughs> you know, getting getting well looked after with. I don't know if you can call it a mid-range phone now. I mean, at that price, and I think last year's model uh, of the the Y7 Pro is down. So I'm seeing that one is listed at... Uh, there's a retailer here listing it, a uh, Noel Leeming listing it at 339. That may be a, a slightly discounted uh, price, but I think last year's model now selling about a hundred dollars less than that, so a little bit over uh, over two hundred dollars. So yeah, that that's a phone now. You know, say three three forty. Um, you're probably buying it for two fifty sometime within the next twelve months, and it doesn't. Doesn't look dramatically different from a fifteen hundred dollar phone, right? What's the it talks about an AI camera on the back? Yeah, I mean, Huawei have um, certainly been you know building these kind of AI smarts into the into their camera app, and you know you point it at a whiteboard, it figures it out to you know it's a whiteboard and you know frames it all up for you, or you know it looks and goes, oh that's you know that's food, or that's a that's a dog or something, and right. you know trying to adjust accordingly in terms of the shots. Now I'm I'm not sure that a professional photographer. Uh, you know, takes a photo of a dog necessarily um, has you know particular settings of a dog versus a cat or some of the things. But you know, I, I like that uh, that idea that it considers what you're shooting and will try and help you get a a, a better shot. Yep, a bit variable I found, but uh, but you know their, their software is getting uh, getting better. It's only Android eight point eight point one. Uh, that's it's a you know a definitely something that you expect with the lower price phones that you may not get the uh, get the updates. Um, but one one thing I noticed uh, a friend that I was uh, visiting in Australia uh, recently they were they were looking for a phone their phone broke while I was there and so we chatted through some of the uh, some of the options and. 
in terms of their price point and you know what they were looking for, I suggested Huawei's uh, Nova 3i, and based on what was available in Australian market, which is a little bit different to here. Now that phone is actually uh, cheaper to buy here uh, in New Zealand, I think, or it was than uh, than what than than the Australian pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got that phone, came with Android 8 or 8.1. Um, but once they put it on Wi-Fi and on the network, there was an Android 9 download for it already. Wow. And I'm pretty sure that my, in my uh, Samsung Galaxy S9 hasn't uh, hasn't seen uh, the Android 9 update yet. So um, Huawei seemed to sort of really be moving along on that update mm. front and you know, even putting it down to a handset like the the 3i, which is a you know sub $500 handset mm. and getting out reasonably quickly uh, with with updates, even the security updates are starting to come through uh, a bit bit quicker. That's really important. I think with the the cheaper phones, uh, the last thing we want is to have this whole fleet of unsecured, you know, devices running, you know, firmware that's two years old, full of exploits. Not not good, is it? Yeah. Well, and and that probably brings us to uh, Lime Scooters. Uh, so uh, Auckland, Auckland Council of have uh, yeah. uh, you know dropped dropped the hammer on Lime, so they're no longer on, or well, they're not on Auckland uh, streets at the moment. Wow. Uh, varying other sort of activities of a you know similar ilk around the country, either Lime uh, pulling them or them you know being reviewed by uh, by councils. And uh, I mean, ahead of that, last week we we decided, I think it was mon- Monday Monday morning, to announce to our staff that we're. Um, uh, stopping uh, having our staff use uh, use e scooters, so uh, uh, we you know we've got uh, one here. The company owns, and uh, uh, Greg has uh, has one as well. So I mean, he rides his to work, but uh, just concerned around some of those cyber security issues and uh, the fact that these things are. Uh, are hackable and mm. especially some of the accidents that uh, happening and you know I guess we've gone from yeah cyber security potentially having yeah there being monetary concerns and oh yeah someone might get my data and delete my data to now where you know it really is becoming uh, life and death type uh, you know risk potentially and uh, you might have someone who's just having a bit of a bit of a play around uh, in their house and they uh, or wherever they might be. Uh, they could compromise a, a lime scooter and you know potentially cause a uh, cause a, a a death. So yeah, it's it's kind of kind of kind of worrying if the bits and pieces that we've we've heard around some of these uh, devices being able to be hacked is, is true. I you know I think around the lime scooters, it's more that they're randomly uh, locking up. Although uh, lime say that they've they've addressed that in uh, in firmware, but I, I seem to be seeing you know good cover or a fair bit of coverage around. Devices being hackable, not so much coverage around these loopholes having necessarily been closed up. Well, that that whole thing, and being in the software industry, it, it is. Uh, I read into it was a, a software issue. So they were saying, uh, in particular instances, especially when they were going downhill, the they've got an anti theft mechanism. So in essence, it puts the anchors on, and if you're going downhill at these things, go thirty k and. As someone who's been on one at 30k now, which is blisteringly fast, when you've got no helmet and no other um, safety gear on. So what was happening is the thing would think it was being pinched. The anti-thing would, would jam on, and you can imagine a, a quick stop from 30K, um, and that's where that, that guy broke his jaw and he went straight over. That's just a shocker. It's, yeah, um, it's very disappointing. Oh, yeah, totally. But it's, it's one of those things, too. I, I don't understand when they when they found out about that issue, why, and okay, it is, it is quite a, a unique set of circumstances, but the, the ramifications of the bug were so big, why they didn't identify it quickly and then just roll out 
because the the juicers who are the people that pick these up, surely they could have said to them, "Hey, look, we need to roll this firmware out. Yeah, it's really important that we do." And then got the juicers as they're charging to do the firmware update at their homes, but they opted not to. They sort of decided to play. Oh, look, we're not really sure what's going on. And then Auckland Council went, "Nah, you're out." And it's it's suspended until they get some answers. I think it's really disappointing because you know from a you know obviously building software. There's no way you'd release software that puts your customers in harm's way. And no. certainly when it comes to, you know, the governance that surrounds companies, when it comes to things like payments, make, we're all, you know, critically aware we don't want, you know, payments to get hacked. And, and so we always invest a lot of time and effort in securing the financial component of a business. But, you know, in this particular instance, you know, the, it just feels to me like, you know, the, there was responsibility from a security point of view, not only for the safety of people, but, you know, for the, for the whole ecosystem, there needed to be a little bit more care, it feels to me. Yeah. Like, uh, more testing or whatever it was, it's just, it feels there should have been more done. Mm. So my, my heart doesn't quite bleed as much as it, as it probably would. I, I love startups. I think we've got to support them and really give them as much support as we can. But, you know, as you said, there's, there's opportunities to, there were opportunities to pull the plug. I think Lime could have pulled the plug themselves mm. and said, we are pulling these off the market until we are happy to put them back on again, knowing that there could be a financial ramification. But as soon as a, as a, an agency, a government agency has to step in, you lose the, the prerogative of that and you just have to roll yeah. now with, with the new scenario. That's I, think, I think that's the other industry, uh, the other issue too, dealing with that sort of big faceless American corporation. I've, I've got an, an instance where I can't use my credit card on their app. Because what had happened was I was in the domain with a friend who said, oh, why don't we catch a couple of Lime scooters? And so I put my credit card on his account as well. And there seems to be a little bit of a, a glitch, I suppose, whereas if, if there's two accounts, two separate accounts, but one credit card, we were able to take the, the ride fine. I got debited twice by the, the company. However, the next time I tried to use my app, it actually was locked. And so I've, I've been... And this must be the fourth week I've been trying to get it sorted, and it's very frustrating. You don't realise how poor support is until you have to use it. Mm. When I'm when I'm saying to them, "Hey, look, there's no fraud. You've billed me twice, and I understand now there's some sort of glitch with your billing system that you can't have the same credit card twice." But please unlock my card. I would like to use the scooters, mm. and so this is this is still ongoing now. Not so urgent, obviously. Yeah. Well, there was a case in the media. No uh, somebody in in Christchurch who had been billed, oh, right. you know, 120 I mean, times or something crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it was it was. Maybe six, seven hundred dollars uh, on their credit card. The details must have got you know stolen. However, mm. and uh, yeah, they they were they were trying to work with uh, with Lime to get it sorted out. And uh, yeah, a real challenge. And you know, I guess you scale these firms very very quickly. Providing support for the masses of customers they have is is not easy. And you know, I guess we all understand that to to a degree. Uh, but. Yeah, there's there's definitely uh, you know I th- I think for me the the big concern is when when they appear to be so focused on the monetary benefits of you know hyperscale growth at yeah. all costs that that they do you know do what what appears to be dodgy stuff and you know certainly that's that's why you know Travis Kalanick is no longer uh, leading Uber because of the the way in which he led them uh, in the early days uh, but that helped them build a, a business that's uh, you know what is it? You know, fifty plus billion was the you know, or sixty billion US was you know, I think the sort of figures that were uh, you know bandied around previously around evaluation. They wouldn't have that valuation if they didn't 
probably cheat their way, uh, you could say, by you know, going into cities and being very relaxed about regulations. Now, for Lyme to follow that process when it's impacting safety in a, in a much bigger way than I guess there were safety aspects to Uber. And often but I miners, think, right? As yeah, well. yeah. Um, that, that, re- that really worries me. And so, yeah, I, you know, I hope they, uh, I don't know, I'd say pull their head in and, uh, and, and sort it out and maybe settle for growth at a slightly slower pace and be willing to, uh, you know, do 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 what's right. I'm not saying that they're breaking a whole lot of regulations because in, in most cases they seem to be working in with the cities, although I think it was at uh, Queensland where they sort of had jumped ahead and got uh, got, got slapped for uh, trying to move faster than they were actually, you know, had, had permission to do so. I hope they get, I hope the leaders, right, in the, in the business say, right, we've got an opportunity now to really do things transparently, to let people know where we messed up and to be really fast about making it right and actually whatever the standards are that the councils are demanding that they meet that they say we will achieve that within this period of time and restore the faith Mm. I think in the process because for me the biggest concern in this is not whether Lyme survives or not in New Zealand it's what happens to the next great disruptive innovation that arrives in New Zealand you know is is it going to meet a much higher mountain to climb to get over or as soon as it lands is everyone going to instantly look to the councils and to the governing authority to make decisions that are primarily technical that the the venture um, you know startup is is really it's their responsibility to address these things but if Lime don't show good integrity in this they could break that for the next technology disruptors that come along. So, you know, I guess it's the balls in their court. Hopefully mm. we see mm. some good stuff. One of the things with Lyme, I, I did think that was unfair that was pitted against him, was the miners. You know, you'd, you'd be anywhere and you'll see a whole lot of 12 or 13-year-old kids riding around these Lyme scooters. And the thing is, and I, I know from this from the app, but you need a credit, you need a proper credit card. You can't use a debit card. Right. It actually checks. I, okay. I know this because of my payment issues. Right. Um, but even something like that, like... Uh, there's only so much in software that you can do. Like if someone said to me, I need you to keep miners off this. I, okay, cool. Let's do credit cards because mum and dad have to give the credit card or they've had to get the credit card from mum and dad to, to use it. And you go, well, let's put in birthdays. And it's like, well, that can be, you know, that can be, that, they well, can change uh, it. Other, other things would, would scan your driver's license, right? And yep. that, or something, you know, a document that really proves it. Yeah. And so there, there are ways in which they could go a little bit further and, I think and, if and other apps do, do do that, right? Mm. You know, the ones on the uh, shore here in Auckland where you can, you can ride a, um, uh, what they call bike, scooters, yeah. that other type of, uh, you know, an, another um, sort of a, a electric motorbike to sort of thing. Um, you know, they they have to because the, you know you actually need a license for that. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I can I can sort of see both both sides of it. There's maybe not a perfect answer uh, sometimes for these things, but I think there, there still are other you know, some other shortcomings that need to be addressed. I think one of the things that Lime did is it it, it makes it ridiculously easy to get on board. Like, all you need is a mobile number. Don't even need an email address. All you need is a mobile number and a credit card. Mm. And you agree to the terms and conditions. And and from a friend and I, when we were going down the domain, you know, he he had the app installed and was on a scooter buzzing around within... You know, five ten months, and easy, and that's a part one of the reasons why they've uh, they've had that sort of hyper growth. That barrier, it's you know, when, so easy when you're di- when you're designing these sign up prices. A lot of these online sites will try and get the minimum from you, and then when you want to do another activity or something that's a little more in depth, and they're like, okay, now we need you know your home address and all these other things. Yeah, so it's about yeah. what's the minimum I can get away with now, just to get you over that hump. 
and then I'll get the rest of the stuff later on so that, you know, yeah. you don't bring up this 30-page question for me. Like, oh, it's just too hard. I yeah. can't be bothered. I yeah. think the problem in this country is, is ACC, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the taxpayer pays for people's health yes. to be covered, right? Anywhere else in the world, you know, you're you're under your own cognizance in regards to your own health insurance and your own physical care. But ultimately, the state is responsible for your physical being. Mm. So these faster sign-up, you know, projects maybe need if it involves people's physical well-being maybe there needs to be another another check in the mix there yeah yeah i mean i've certainly got concerns on that on that front and you know just a, a quick bit of number crunching i you know saw figures that it's already cost acc so it's you know it's good it's cost us as taxpayers uh, i think it was five hundred thousand dollars in uh, in claims already which wow. you know you do a quick bit of math uh, you know one of those e-scooters works out you know wholesale price sort of you know probably sub 500 Dollars or around that five hundred dollar type figure, uh, so you know the the government has paid for the equivalent of a, a thousand uh, scooters uh, in just a short number of months uh, in looking after people who have fallen off the jolly thing. So you know who who's got the bigger costs? You know, Lyme or the government? You could you could argue that actually. You know the 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 low cost operation here is Lime, uh, and them them making money at uh, every, everyone else's expense because of the um you know the, the accidents and and those issues. Um, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. There's I think there's a bunch more we could certainly dive into on these topics. We'll certainly be talking uh, more about uh, drones and in, in future episodes, and uh, so, you know some of these things. Uh, there'll be more to say around. Mobile World Congress and some of the devices uh, as I get a bit more time with the uh, the lovely uh, Galaxy S10 uh, Plus. I'll talk about that experience. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention on there is it's got the new uh, Samsung One uh, interface, which is quite nice. And uh, I've been doing a lot with a camera, and the camera in it is very nice, or cameras, because there's three cameras on the back and uh, and and two on the front. Um, the one small thing that uh, very memorable for me because it's a constant frustration with just about every phone I have uh, is if I'm videoing something and then I think, oh, I'd like a photo of that, or vice versa, and I you know flick from video to to photo mode, uh, and I'm zoomed. You lose that normally. This is the first camera app you you can flick from one to the other, keeps your zoom at exactly the same level. Just, little thing, just, eh? just, just a little thing that's like, oh, that's so. so good. You go into a store and go, does it keep the zoom on when I'm doing photos? <laughs> video? I don't know, sir. Well, that's a big thing. For yeah. So we all have our have our little things, but uh, but yeah, that that stood out to me anyway. Um, there are a whole bunch of uh, journalists, uh, courtesy of um, uh, some uh, some maybe a, a Chinese firm or, or two who are at uh, Mobile World Congress at the moment. So uh, no doubt there'll be a lot to read about uh, announcements at Mobile World Congress in our in our media over the next uh, next few days. Um, so that's uh, the, yeah, it's really um, you know good in a way to have have uh, such a presence at Mobile World uh, Congress. We probably haven't had that many uh, Kiwis over there. Uh, for some time, so uh, so that's very cool, and we'll certainly in future episodes as we get get a bit more info and, and hands on with some of the new uh, devices, be covering those off on future episodes. So. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, if you would like to show your support for the show, then go to nztechpodcast.com uh, slash support, and that'll fire you across to our Patreon uh, page, and you can support us for as little as $3 a month. Uh, you do have to pay in US dollars, so it's uh, it's two US dollars. Uh, so yeah, we'd uh, we'd love to uh, love to have a little bit of support in uh, um, helping us uh, grow the grow the show and uh, improving the show. 
Thanks, everyone. Uh, now, where do we find where do we find you online, Nate? Oh, super easy. Just go Twitter at Nate. Excellent, excellent. And uh, Matt? Uh, well, I'm not quite online at this point in time, but on Twitter, I'm Matt A O Fact. If anyone wants to follow that, uh, see some drone shots of fun things at the moment. Yeah, so, I enjoy uh, your uh, joy, dr- the drone <laughs> photos and things that you uh, you share. So, uh, Great. yeah, good stuff. All right, thanks, everyone. Catch you again next week. See ya. Thanks, Paul. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.